0: Good afternoon, Cornerstone. I'm Lillian, and I'll be doing the scripture reading today. The passage will be taken from 2nd John chapter 1 verses 1 through 13. Again, 2nd John chapter 1 verses 1 through 13. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear Lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward." Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. May God bless the reading of his word.
1: We continue our series called Walking Like Jesus through the letters of John. The last Sunday, Pastor Paul spoke on 1 John chapter 5, uh, how faith precedes everything. And today, now, we have finished with the first letter of John, and we're now going to look at the second letter of John, called Second John. For a long time, I misunderstood this short little epistle, they call it, which is another word for a letter. It almost could be called a postcard epistle, because it could be written on a postcard. It's so short. Because I just thought it was simply a warning to followers of Jesus not to... Um, Ever invite people of other faiths into their home and uh, for example I I applied this especially with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses who when they would come to my door and knock or ring the doorbell I would never invite them in I would always come outside and stand outside my door uh, and talk to them because if I invited them in um, I felt like um, I would be breaking this command in 2 John. So I didn't ever invite him in, even though it was like super hot outside, and invite him in to get out of the heat or just simply give him a drink of water. I never did that. But we'll see as uh, that my situation really wasn't uh, what John, the apostle who wrote this second letter, um, had in mind when he was writing to uh, the recipients of this letter. Second John... Was written around the same time as his first letter, 1 John. Uh, The the grammar, the style, the vocabulary of 1 John and 2 John uh, compare very closely to each other. And in fact, eight of the 13 verses in 2 John are almost identical to verses in 1 John. So that's why when it was read today, you probably said, wow, it sounds pretty much like 1 John, which is why we have strong evidence that it's the same author. Uh, The letter was written around 90 AD, uh, about 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this letter begins according to the ancient style of letter writing, which we did not experience in 1 John, which was like an exception there. Uh, Ancient letters started with, uh, unlike our letter writing today, um, who was writing the letter, and then followed by to whom the letter was written, followed by a short salutation or greeting, we could say, and then the body of the letter and a conclusion. So the letter starts, we see in verse one, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now this introduction of the author as the elder is very unique to Second John and Third John, which we'll look at next week. This title, the elder, emphasize emphasizes the position and the personal relationship with the recipients of the letter. And so this is more important than his name, I guess, because uh, it seems that no doubt those receiving this letter uh, were very familiar with the author, and in this case, the Apostle John. And so um, his title, The Elder, carries this uh, respect and authority. Uh, held with this elect lady and her children. So the word elder simply means, uh, in and of itself, an old uh, man or aged person. And as used in the context of the Christian community, uh, the word took on this meaning of one who possessed uh, authority and leadership by the virtue of their uh, integrity their character, their maturity in Christ, and so the elder was someone whose life was worthy of imitation by the church community. And so this title was very fitting for the Apostle John because uh, he was an old man, but he held a special position of authority um, as the last surviving apostle that was with Jesus at this time in history. So, the term then we move on from the elder to the elect lady and her children is a, a unique designation for a recipient of a New Testament letter. So Second John is the only one that has this. Um, and there are different interpretations of who the recipients of this letter were. So the first one is that this term, the elect lady and her children, uh, means to a local church community and the members of that church, which then would make sense because in the last verse of this short letter, verse 13, would likewise then refer to another local church saying, the children of your elect sister greet you. So it's like one local church is greeting another local church. The second uh, interpretation that's possible is the recipient is an individual lady and her physical children. Now, I believe uh, when you look at the evidence uh, in the letter that it makes more sense that this is a metaphor of a local church and its members. So that's how we will proceed today. So 2 John was written mainly to warn a local church community of false teachers and instruct them to have nothing to do with these false teachers uh, and support or not to support them in any way possible. False teachers were taking advantage of the generous hospitality of believers, Christians in that day, uh, and then using them to gain uh, the opportunity and influence in a church community, a house church, we would call it uh, today. And this is why John wrote this letter stressing uh, both truth and love, uh, just as he did in First John. So count how many times, for example, the word truth appears in just the first four, four verses of Second John. Let me read this to you. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as were commanded, just as we were commanded by the Father. So, how many times did truth appear? It appears five times. Love and truth, know the truth. The truth abides in us, and will be with us forever. And then, the grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ will be with us in truth and love. John declared the existence of absolute truth. Uh, God is the ultimate standard by which we judge everything else. Uh, God is true, his words are true, his ways are true, and whatever and whoever contradicts or opposes God then is false. And this is why John rejoiced when meeting people that were from this local church community that we're walking in the truth. What does it mean to walk in the truth? Well, first and foremost, it means following Jesus, who is the truth. Uh, we know this because Jesus in John, the, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, says, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth test that we looked at in First John uh, was very simple. You remember, and I'll just quote it, that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The Christian faith is not about a series or a list of propositional truths. No, it is about believing in Jesus, who is the truth, to believe that he is the living God, incarnate, meaning The living God come in the flesh. Jesus is the truth in the flesh. That's that's the, the belief of Christianity. It's not these propositional truths. It's a person. It's a living being. It's the living God we believe in as the truth. So what does it mean to walk in the truth? Well, we just said it's following Jesus who is the truth which then leads to living in freedom of the truth. So listen carefully to the words of Jesus in, the again, the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Walking in the truth is an ongoing process for those of us who follow Jesus. See, the process of following Jesus, who is the truth, then uh, lives uh, result in us living f- in the freedom of that truth, meaning, or of Him who is the truth. See, when we follow Jesus, His truth continually reveals the areas and the specific things in our lives where we still hold on to unbelief. We have not, We don't believe in the truth of Christ as it um, applies to this area of our life or that area of our life. And so when we learn the truth, he reveals this to us, this area of unbelief. And then he leads us from that unbelief to belief and trust in him as the truth specifically applied to that area of our life. And then we are set free. The truth sets us free. For example, I used to condemn myself all the time. Even as a pastor, I used to condemn myself over and over again when I committed sin. You know, I'd tell myself, how could you do that? You know, you're a terrible pastor and whatever. I just condemn myself um, over and over again. And this condemnation would create and rise up a sour spirit in me. And when I um but I remember one time, and I've shared this before, that the Spirit of Christ revealed to me that uh, this unbelief in my heart. Because I was believing, um, it revealed to me that my self-condemnation was due to my unbelief in the truth of, that Jesus was condemned on my behalf once and for all. So why would I feel like I need to keep condemning myself? It's because I believe that his condemnation wasn't enough. I needed to do that myself. And when the Spirit of God revealed this to me and showed my area of unbelief, and then I accepted his truth, Jesus was condemned on my behalf. Um, I was set free. I am no longer condemned because I live in the truth of Jesus Christ by faith. Romans 8.1 speaks to this truth, saying, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you see, I moved from unbelief to belief and experienced the freedom from condemnation when I walk in the truth of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to walk in the truth? Well, it means following Jesus who is the truth, which then leads to living in freedom of the truth. And and then our text after John shares here how he rejoiced finding people who are walking in the truth, he asked the church members to follow Jesus' command to love one another. And this this is something we heard in First John over and over again, right? But listen to verses 5 and 6. And now I ask you, dear lady, meaning the church community, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. See, John moved from walking in the truth to now walking in love, or living in love. It means. So what does it mean to walk in love? Well, it means following Jesus, who is the embodiment of love. As our text clearly states, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. So like I said, to walk simply means to live in that day and age because everybody walked everywhere. Walking was what they did all the time. It was part of their life. Jesus does not command his followers ever to do anything that he did not first do himself. Our love for one another is to follow his example. Of love. And, and Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now, how did Jesus love us? Well, he lived not for himself. He lived on behalf of the, all of the human race, showing the human race what it would look like to live in obedience to God's commands without failure. Uh, he never sinned. And then Jesus, how did he love us? How did he show his love? He died for us so that we could live. Uh, He took the penalty of our sin on himself so that we could be set free from our slavery to sin and be forgiven once and for all. You see, the second letter of John was written to the local church community. and, And John stressed the importance of walking meaning living, in the truth and the love of Jesus. And after stressing this, John then goes on to warn the church of false teachers, instructed them not to support them in any way. Um, And so this was John's application of for the local church community um, in regards to walking in truth and love. And it's interesting, I think, that the application of walking in truth and love is to withhold hospitality it's 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 interesting to me so verse 7 listen to what verse 7 says for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of jesus christ in the flesh such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist now john identified these false teachers who denied that Jesus came in the flesh as deceivers and antichrists. Uh, They were imposters. So it's like these traveling missionaries were false teachers who would pose great danger to the church. And they actually would come and claim that they were Christian teachers and seek to get uh, into the church community. And then they were actually enemies of Christ. And So they were imposters, they were deceivers in that way. And then listen to verses 10 and 11 again. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Listen to how the translation called The Message puts verses 10 and 11. If anyone shows up who doesn't hold to this teaching, don't invite him in and give him the run of the place that would just give him a platform to perpetuate his evil ways, making you his partner. This letter, remember, was written to a church community, a local church that gathered in a house. Most churches of that time period, the early church, met in homes. Some homes were bigger than others, so the churches varied in size, but they were all small, pretty much. And John commanded them not to show any hospitality, As a church community to a false teacher who denied that Jesus came in the flesh. If they invited him in, then they would be giving him, in a sense, a platform from which to teach and influence the others in the church community. And, and so he would, they would be partnering with him, with him in this wickedness that he or she was teaching. So therefore, this does not mean that uh, or apply to whether or not I invite a Jehovah's Witness into my home or Mormon to give them a cup of water or something, because these are not church teachers, these are not teachers for the Jehovah's Witness um movement or cult. They're just people doing what they're they were told that they need to do to earn favor with God or get in the heaven or something like that, the false teaching. So there's nothing wrong with me inviting them into my home and showing hospitality to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons uh, personally as an individual, you know, showing the love of Christ to these people that are misled. But it, it would apply if I, as pastor, uh, using my title, uh, pastor of Cornerstone, showed hospitality to a Jehovah's Witness teacher and then introduced him to others in Cornerstone as a teacher, this would be giving him a platform from which to influence the others in our church community and then lead them away from Christ. So you see how then I would be partnering with him in his evil deeds, and his evil teaching. Now I pick on the Jehovah's Witnesses because they believe and teach that Jesus was a creation of God the Father, and therefore, he is a lesser God, separate God from God the Father, um, and that so he they do not teach or believe that Jesus came in the flesh as God incarnate. So that would apply uh, to what John is uh, commanding. If I did that as in an official way for the Cornerstone Church, we walk. In truth and love of Jesus by working against all false teaching and false teachers that would lead people away from the true and living Christ Jesus as Lord we, we do this personally as we move from unbelief to belief in our own lives when we follow Jesus as the truth and follow his teachings we do this corporately as a church, by identifying false teachings and false teachers and having nothing to do with them. Well, what does it walking in the truth and love of Christ look like when we uh, apply it to our church community among each other? Not with false teachers that would try to come in and influence, but with among brothers and sisters of Christ, fellow believers, family members of God. What does this look like? Well, there is a teaching from the Apostle Paul that uh, deals with this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read this for us and listen in this context. What is what he is teaching here? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work." Did you hear that? Speaking the truth in love, we as a community will grow to be like Christ Jesus. When you and I, as followers of Jesus, speak the gospel truth in the love of Christ to one another, then we will grow to be more like Christ. And this means when we identify an area of unbelief in a brother or sister in God's family and speak the gospel truth to them, then the whole community matures and grows to be more like a healthy body of Christ. You know, it's sad when a church community does not participate with each other in speaking the gospel truth to one another in the love of Christ. Especially when unbelief becomes apparent. For example, when one of us becomes aware of sexual sin in a brother or sister's life and we never say anything to that brother or sister about it. I mean, it's not like we have to say something right away, but we we pray about it and we seek an opportunity to Address this to reveal this to this brother and sister and speak the gospel truth to them If we never do anything, then the body of Christ remains unhealthy uh, immature When someone continues for example say to cut people off in conversation or to interrupt them Just so that they can say what they think is more important. You know, that's the way it comes about they interrupt others Um, and nobody ever speaks to this person about this behavior and what underlies that behavior, this unbelief that exists is the cause of them acting out this way in this self-promoting way, like they are more important or they need to be more important, or what they say has to be more important, uh, treated that way. If this continues on, the body of Christ will continue uh, struggle to mature and grow in Christ if this area of unbelief is never spoken to in the gospel of Christ. Um, But this does not mean that you and I are to be an act like moral policemen. No, because that is meaningless. It's not what this means. Um, This means that we speak of the truth in Christ Jesus that frees us from unbelief and our slavery to sin and transforms us to be like Christ Jesus himself. Um, We don't approach people to condemn them and tell them what they should be doing and what they should not be doing. Um, In Christ, there is no condemnation. So we don't condemn people when they sin. No, we instead speak to them of the truth in Christ Jesus to the unbelief causing them to fall in this way. We seek release for them from being in their bondage to this, this sinful behavior. And we don't seek to burden them with more shoulds and should nots. You shouldn't do that, you should not do that. But you should be doing that. Um, religions are full of lists of things that we should do and we shouldn't do. That's religion. But in Christ, we are free. And now we get the honor and the privilege of using our lives and living for Him through our lives and our actions and our everyday stuff of life. We do not have to do this, but we get to do this for His glory. See, there's a big difference there. It's not that we should do this. We get to do this. That's that's the freedom we have in Christ, to live in His truth. So what does walking in the truth and love of Christ look like with those in our lives who don't follow Jesus. So we've seen it as uh, corporately, um, How corporately, what does this look like with respect to false teachers? Right? We don't show them hospitality or don't support them in any way. We've seen how it uh, looks practically within the body of Christ, speaking to each other the, uh, in truth and love, um, the gospel truth among fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, what does this look like to people who are in our lives who do not follow Christ? How do we walk in truth and love with them? Well, one practical way we do this is through hospitality. Now, the scriptures are clear that hospitality is a characteristic that is part of our lives for those who follow Jesus. Because of the generosity of God the Father to us in Christ, Then he moves our hearts to be generous to others, opening up our homes or treating them out to meals and things like that. Hospitality is mentioned as a requirement for being a elder in a church community. Uh, in the both lists that are required in First Timothy and Titus, uh, it's mentioned. They must be hospitable. The teaching in Hebrews chapter 13 verse two says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. First Peter 4, 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality simply means friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. And in Christ, hospitality means treating people like they are family, like they are part of our family, which they are. All of God's people, all of people in the human race are children of God because we're all his offspring, as the scriptures say. But it's like our brothers and sisters, many of them are estranged from God. Uh, They are not redeemed because they have are rebelling against their father. But we can treat them like family and try to convince them of how much love their father has for them and point to them and say, you can trust him and his son, Jesus Christ. So we treat them like family and and then we create an environment that is welcoming and accepting of them as someone valuable to God. So it doesn't matter who they are. They are valuable to God. When we communicate God's love and truth through hospitality to people we invite into our lives, then then it's like God's love is uh, funneling through us to them in this very practical way, whether it's a meal or just uh, inviting them in to just hang out or whatever it is. When was the last time you invited someone uh, to a meal that you paid for or invited them over just for a dessert or a drink or to go out somewhere for that? Uh, or when was the last time you invited someone just to hang out with you? Um, hospitality is intentional on our part and requires a servant's heart. So you can see how this is tied into us following Christ and becoming more like Christ. Uh, we may be thinking reasons of why we can't do any of the things I just asked before because of the, this time of COVID-19. But then let's think of other ways of how we can be intentional and be hospitable to others that don't follow Jesus, who have God has brought into our lives. How can we treat them as family? Think of that. How can we treat our neighbors as family or the people at our workplaces that we never see face-to-face anymore as family? How can we be intentional and do this for the glory of Christ and be a vessel and a Funnel of God's love to them in practical ways. And this is just one way of walking in love and truth of Jesus with those who do not follow Jesus, who don't believe. Sisters and brothers, walk in the truth and love of Jesus this week going forward. Watch out for false teachers and don't support them in any way. Don't take part in what they're doing. And, but on the other hand, show hospitality to one another and to those who don't follow Christ that God has brought into our lives, brought in contact with us. We do this for the name of, in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Let's get busy, let's pray together. Lord God, we praise you for your love and grace for us who are sinful, who continue to struggle with our selfishness, who desire sometimes to just do our own thing and uh, not care about other people's needs because we are depending on our own efforts and our own strength and our own emotional reserves rather than allowing you, Lord Christ, to work in us and release us to experience the tremendous freedom and grace when we focus on you as our source of hope, as our peace for today, as our guide for solving problems or difficulties in life, as our comfort in times of pain and discomfort. Lord, we know that we can look to you for all things because you are the source of all things. You you have given us all that we need in this life. And Lord, we look forward to the future of what you have and are preparing for us who follow you. Lord, may we be a source uh, of hope and encouragement to the people in our lives, whether they are those who follow you or those who do not. And may we be a challenge to those who are false teachers uh, that stand against them in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. All for your glory and for the your work of the kingdom on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we'll see you next week.